Yes, for every child, rich or poor, there is a time of running through a dark place. There's no word for a child's fear, and no ears to hear it if there was a word, and no one to understand it if they heard. God save the little children. They abide, and they endure. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Swamp Things, comic book muckmen, bog beasts, and mud monsters. Episode 14, Even Monsters Get Scared Sometimes, featuring 100-page giant Swamp Thing number 5, Swamp Monsters graphic novel, The Saga of Swamp Thing book 1, and Swamp Thing the TV show, episodes 1 through 3. Hi there, it's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to do, I don't know how short this episode is going to be, I don't intend it to be very long, but at the same time, I... Uh, I do have a number of topics to talk about, and I do promise that uh, as far as Comic Book Time Machine goes, I've talked before about when things happen, it, basically when I have a lot of writing stuff going on and I'm very busy. This is the podcast that gets kind of pushed to the wayside a little bit, and that includes the uh, um, the feeds for com- Marvel's comics, Cosmic Comics and the feed for the Swamp Things comics, and then, of course, the main feed for the Comic Book Time Machine, but... Um, and well, I have been busy, but I, uh, along with that, there's been some stuff that's been coming out that I've been wanting to talk about. And so I just want to take a moment here as I'm sitting in the, uh, on the, <laughs> I'm actually on Lake Michigan right now, looking out over a, a grassy dune. And beyond the grassy dune is the horizon with Lake Michigan in the distance. And uh, it's beautiful, just beautiful. And uh, I had a moment. Uh, what What's happening right now is I, I, the very end of two weeks of serving at a retreat for families who are affected by disability, which I've talked about before, I think on this podcast, but uh, that's what my family does every year. We do these two weeks and uh, it's very interesting. The comic I happen to be reading from the classic Swamp Thing series also had to do with uh, kids with autism. And um, what's interesting is it's very much an eighties view of kids with autism. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I'm here, this is where I am. And I've also got some writing stuff going on where I'm doing some of the audio drama stuff for supersonic pod comics. But like I said, I really wanted to touch on some stuff here and Marvel's cosmic comics has not been left by the wayside. And I also just read a super interesting comic book that I just want to do on the regular comic book time machine, uh, feed, it's a, a comic from EC Comics, and it's a weird, weird science fantasy. I think is what the the title is, but it's basically a whole issue that's just calling out the Air Force for lying about UFOs, and it's really interesting. I am not going to talk about it here, though. I'm going to wait and talk about it on its own episode. And I, I happen to get that at a local comic shop here in in uh, Michigan. That. Um, I just was going through some back issues, just hoping I could find something cool, <laughs> and I did. So that was fun. But as far as uh, the swamp thing and swamp monsters uh, topic of this particular uh, grouping of, of Comic Book Time Machine, um, I really wanted to get a chance to talk about the uh, swamp thing, giant size swamp thing comics that have been coming out. And the uh, the TV show, and then I also got a volume, a graphic novel volume from Yo Comics, but it was actually printed by IDW, so I'm not sure the relationship there. Uh, but it's just called Swamp Monsters, and I think I ordered this 
in November. I mean, it's been over half a year since I ordered this. I can't remember what even made this, uh, brought this to my attention, but, um, I pre-ordered it on Amazon and it arrived just before I left to come to this, uh, retreat center. And so in my spare time, I've been able to read some of those short stories and that's been a lot of fun. And I guess since I'm already talking about, it, I might as well, might as well start there. So the four topics I'm going to be talking about is this Swamp Monsters graphic novel, and then also uh, the first volume of collected editions of uh, the Saga of the Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. And then I do want to talk about the new Swamp Thing stuff that's been coming out from the Walmart exclusive uh, comic book <laughs> little uh, cardboard standee that they have. Uh, I've been buying those. Um, there's now six titles which I talked about in the last episode, but this one has uh, the fifth chapter in the new story from the Swamp Thing, and things are actually moving forward there. And then there's also the Swamp Thing TV show, which I wanted to talk about because there's some really interesting news and controversy and rumors and denials and... Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting, but the three episodes of that have come out on DC Universe. So, yeah, it's a kind of a swamp monster catch-all today, uh, but it's mostly Swamp Thing. However, the Swamp Monsters book that I got, um, like I said, it, it's Yo Comics that – or Yo Books, rather, that put this out, but then they published it through IDW, and I'm not sure if that was the intention all along. Uh, but it's just a collection of public domain swamp monster comics from basically the 50s. I don't think there's anything too much earlier than that. Uh, but basically 1950, 52, 53, around in there. And it's a mixed bag. It is definitely a mixed bag, but it's a fun mixed bag. Don't get me wrong. So it's, it's not all slimy swamp creatures like, you know, Swamp Thing or Man Thing or The Heap or whatever. Uh, there's some of that, although the clo one of the very closest that it gets to that is it actually turns out to be an alien. But <laughs> there's one where this lady goes and uh, she and this witch both really are, have a, a vendetta against the, uh, I think it's the Clark family or something like that. And she goes to this witch and the witch is like, I can't kill them myself, but they want to destroy my shed and I don't want them to do that because it's home. And so I'm going to turn you into an alligator and then you can kill them as an alligator and you have the perfect alibi because you're an alligator. <laughs> and uh, so the lady goes along with it and she can turn back and forth to an alligator at will. Uh, the problem is <laughs> she... Um, people start getting suspicious and she goes to the witch and she actually kills the witch, you know, and the, the witch can't take the spell off her, which is bad because um, the witch dies as she's mid transformation. And so she then gets, she gets away from the people who are trying to track down the alligators that has been killing people, but she has these puny little human arms and, the other alligators don't accept her and they destroy her. They, they kill her very easily and quickly. So it's that kind of pre-code kind of horror stuff where there's just all sorts of awful things happening to awful people. And usually awful things happening to awful people is not my cup of tea, um, especially if that's all that the story is about. But, you know, there's there's other things with uh, – there's aliens in here and there's some really – it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. There's some great art and there's some really bad art. I mean, there's, there's some old comics that I look at and think if I had just been born in 1935 or something, 
uh, to be an artist in 1955 because you don't have to be able to draw <laughs> to be a comic book artist at some of these companies. Um, but that's, that's my opinion, of course. Uh, so I haven't read all of it, but I would say, you know, if you like pre-code comics and if you like, um, you know, and pre-code comics themselves can be really, really sharp, but they also can be just slapdash and they just are put out as quickly as they can. And, and that's not a bad thing necessarily, you know. It, it creates uh, an energy, a, a raw energy that goes into things where maybe you aren't planning so so much ahead and uh, thinking so much about th the details and the themes and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, you're, you're talking about a five, six, seven, eight page story, if that. So the so Swamp, uh, Swamp Monsters, edited by Steve Baines and Craig Yo, has an introduction by Stephen Bissett. Uh, Swamp Thing artist, and that's all very interesting too. He, he gives us a nice little history of his own uh, history with swamp creatures and uh, pre-Swamp Thing history of that. Uh, I did not realize this, but in the late 70s, he worked on a magazine, uh, Steve Bissett did, as an artist on these short horror stories, and his first one was a swamp monster story written by R.L. Stein who also did that man thing miniseries way back in the day kind of thing. And, and so, you know, as I'm reading along, there's some interesting stuff in here. It's, it's nice curiosity. It definitely belongs in my collection of, uh, just, uh, goofy, weird stuff. I'm not sure how many other people are really going to enjoy this, but apparently enough that they actually put out this volume and I'm glad for that. Now, all of these were stories that you probably could find at various uh, public domain comic databases, but at the same time, now you don't have to find them there. They're right here in your hand. They mention other th stories and I'm really curious, like if I wonder if there's a way to get a list maybe of, of some of the other s swamp creature stories that they didn't use, but yeah, that Southern Gothic uh, swamp horror. Is, there's a lot represented here, and it's just it's a it's a nice little volume, nice little volume. So that is Swamp Monsters. That is our first topic. Our, our second topic is uh, Saga of the Swamp Thing. That was the other thing that I read over the last two weeks, um, and I was I had read half of this volume before. Uh, this is a it's a good. I, I was surprised. I, I have not read this actually before. Um, I've read various issues throughout Alan Moore's run, but I haven't actually sat down to read through Alan Moore's run on Saga of the Swamp Thing. And I actually am planning to just eventually read through all 170 some or whatever Saga of the Swamp Thing comics. I've read the earlier stuff um, a couple times actually. And like I said, there's some comics throughout the run where I've read this and that, but never actually sat down to read through the entire run. And I decided I'm going to do that this year. So book one of, of that run, um, you know, it's, it's setting the foundation. This is where, uh, the whole retcon happens of the swamp things origin, where he is not a man who has been turned into a swamp creature. He is a, actually a swamp creature who believes he was a man and who has memories of a man before him, but it's not his own memories. These are memories that were imprinted on him. And it's kind of a, an interesting 
take on the whole clone idea where you have clones maybe who, you know, they have the memories of the person before them, but they aren't actually that same person or, you know, your memory, memory gets copied and downloaded into a robot and is the, you know, are they the same person? And, and I would say, you know, no, because they then become something separate. And there's some really interesting and cool stuff with the Floronic Man, who is also a, a character that's going to feature into the, or does feature rather, into the uh, Swamp Thing TV show. Uh, what was interesting was the last couple of issues, the last four or five issues, which were the ones that I read here uh, in at the camp where I am. And they all take place uh, where, as Abby Arcane gets a job at a home for autistic children. And uh, it's, it's very much a pop culture view of... Uh, of autism, a pop culture eighties view at that of, uh, mental disability. And, you know, all of these children who have autism in this book are also have some sort of great traumatic tragedy in their background and gives the impression that it's the traumatic tragedy that caused them to be triggered into having autism, uh, which is not the case. And, uh, it, it you know, there, there's, you can have that kind of stuff trigger something that might look like uh, autism, but uh, autism is something very, very different than what Alan Moore <laughs> puts into this book. But at the same time, he might be working on just what people at the time thought. Uh, when I was a child, I was born in 1974, and from the time that I was two or three until the time that I was well, 12 or 13, my father worked with uh, men and women who had mental and physical disabilities and his job. I mean, I might've mentioned it before on this podcast. I'm not sure, but he was, he was basically a superhero. Uh, my dad's job was to go into institutions where you had men and women who had various forms of disability, uh, where they were institutionalized and he would go in and try and find those men and women that could actually come out and, and live and thrive in a group home setting, eventually setting them up to uh, be monitored, but to live on their own in an apartment. And so they would always have someone who would come and check on them and help them out, make sure that they're doing everything they need to do. But, you know, teaching them life skills, like how to buy groceries and, and stuff like that. And, you know, some of, the, some of them had to just stay in the, in the group home because they weren't going to be able to go further than that. But um, that was my my dad's job as I was growing up. And I don't remember details. You know, I, I couldn't tell you from my life experience, oh, this is the way they treated people back then and this is the way they treat them now. Uh, I just remember, you know, my own experiences through the lens of a child uh, seeing um, these people who were, you know, just having, having various degrees of um, cognitive ability and, and physical ability. But anyway, uh, I do know that there was a lot of misinformation back then, and that was actually another part of my dad's work was was to kind of get away from the misinformation and to allow people to see, you know, uh, this isn't as bad as it sounds. It isn't as bad as it looks. You know, these are people. <laughs> It's it's a big part of disability uh, ministry, as far as uh, the stuff that I'm working with, is that you know pe these people are people. <laughs> it's it can be very interesting when you see and hear some of the different attitudes about uh, people with disabilities. But anyway, I remember uh, vividly remember when I was four, uh, we moved into a town where they were going to bring uh, a group home 
and they were going to, they bought a house to have a group home for these men and women. And we had our tires slashed. Someone broke the antenna off our car. There was threats, um, threats against, uh, my father's life, uh, threats against, um, uh, my mother that I don't even want to say out loud, um, and threats against us children. I don't remember the threats vividly. I do remember the police coming about our car very vividly. And I remember there was a situation that happened a couple years after they had opened the group home. And by this time there was a couple uh, men who were working at the the local arena. This is up in Canada. Uh, they're working at the local arena and the group home itself became a part of the community and the community eventually did um, embrace them and accept them. And there's actually still a group home there now with the same organization. Um, two years into it, three years into it, one of the men uh, was hit in a freak accident as they were walking home from the arena. A man fell asleep at the wheel of his pickup truck, hit both of them. One of them had a few scratches and the other one uh, died. And um, at Ernie's funeral, it was standing room only in the church. You know, I mean, people from the community came out to this funeral. And this is a community that just a couple years earlier were making death threats against the the people who were bringing this group home in. And so, um, you know, attitudes change over time. Attitudes change with experience. Attitudes change with um, just relationship. And and so, you know, I, I, I'm really curious um, to see, you know, how what Alan Moore presents in his book here, which is actually not, it's, 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 it's not unflattering. The humanity of these children is never in question. And it's, it's very much a, you know, these are people kind of thing. And these are people with feelings and these are people with fears. And these are people who do not deserve to be treated poorly or badly or abused, you know? So he's not painting them in an unflattering light. I know, I hope I'm not giving that impression. It just feels very old school is, is all. It feels very eighties. So that is, uh, but it's a good run. And so this book one that I'm holding in my hand has uh, issues number 20 through 27. And um, I'm getting, getting ready when I get home, you know, I'll be busting out book two and, uh, there's just some really cool stuff. And, you know, there's some classic issues in here. And I did read, I have read uh, The Anatomy Lesson before, and that is classic, you know, for a reason because it is well written. It's horrific. Uh, the, it definitely plays up the horror in, in all of the this. And yeah, so I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, it, it was very good. So um, sticking with the comics for a little bit, uh, we have the Swamp Thing issue number five for the 100-page giant from Walmart. It's a Walmart exclusive. Things are finally moving with the Baron, uh, not B-A-R-O-N, but B-A-R-E-E-E-N. And there are still creatures that are you know, coming out and becoming more and more visible because apparently they are running from the Baron and trying to get away from him. And, and in this one, there's some really uh, neat fears being brought to life there is the creature the thing in the closet there's the thing in the closet that comes out and is, is stalking uh one of the characters that swamp thing has to help and you only get one real good view of it but it's a it's a cool creature um and it's the for this particular person she's has a lot of her fears are, are coming to life uh, but we actually finally do uh get introduced to the baron he speaks in this. And what's really kind of interesting about this, and this has got to be on purpose, but whenever Swamp Thing speaks in in the dialogue and the, the the speech bubbles, it's orange. And 
It's orange with a black border. For the Baron, he speaks with a black bubble with an orange border and orange letters. And he looks in silhouette a lot like Swamp Thing. There's a texture to him, and it's it's really interesting. I'm not going to talk much more about uh, the Baron and about how they come to find him and about his identity and that sort of thing, but I would say uh, I don't know if they're going to collect these. The, the talk is that these are Walmart exclusive and they're going to stay that way. And you have the Superman original story and the, the Batman original story and the Wonder Woman original story and the Teen Titans original story. Now you have the Flash with its original story and the Swamp Thing with its original story. This, this is a continuing story. Now what's cool about it, what's good about it is even though these are short stories, uh, I think 12 pages, so they are half an issue. Each one of them tends to be either part one of two or something like that, but it also then feeds into, for the Swamp Thing anyway, feeds into that um, that overarching plot and that over, overarching uh, problem that the Swamp Thing and his friend uh, Briar, Ro- Briar Rose, Briar Rose is Sleeping Beauty, uh, but is Briar. Her name, the, the witch friend that he has that only has one eye is Briar, and uh, they are going to have to um, work together to solve these problems with the Baron and and they they're they're a fun team they play off each other well she's a quirky character and he has his own quirks you know and and his quirks tend to be that he's a lot more serious than she is and and it's a good buddy cop kind of thing where you have these two characters who like each other kind of maybe a grudging admiration but they they are willing to work together to get things done but they aren't they wouldn't have chosen each other if they uh, didn't have to, you know, like any work relationship. You don't choose your work partners unless you're actually the person doing the hiring. And, uh, you know, they they work together well because they have to. It's a relationship of convenience and necessity. But on the flip side, I think that, you know, they're also becoming friends. But I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the Swamp Thing stuff. I'm enjoying that I get a monthly Swamp Thing comic book. Uh, that I mean, it comes with a lot of extra stuff. The majority of the issue is not this new story. Uh, but I don't mind that I only have to get, you know, I'm only getting a half issue uh, every month. I'm getting something, you know, and, and it's been fun. So finally, let's talk about the Swamp Thing TV show. Last I had spoken on this podcast about it, it had not come out yet. I did subscribe to DC Universe, and I will cancel my subscription immediately after I view the last episode of the Swamp Thing series. Recently, I saw that uh, the Teen Titans, I guess it's just called Titans, series is out on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, uh, I will be buying this Swamp Thing series. Uh, these first three episodes have been really, really good. Surprisingly good. Um, they play up the horror. Uh, they are episodic and serialized at the same time. So there is a, um, you know, as you watch each episode, you are getting a complete story, but then you're also getting a lot of details that are going to be, you know, that are going to uh, build up and and create this this larger what was originally going to be 13 episode storyline that is now a 10 episode storyline. And that is a whole nother thing that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But the character of Alec Holland is not how I would imagine him. Now, granted, Alec Holland has really only been seen 
you know, 99.99% of the time he's seen as Swamp Thing. Uh, you don't get to see him as that human character for very long. Even in retellings of the origin, you know, there just isn't that much Alec Holland uh, that gets out there as a person. But at the same time, you do have a kind of feel for the type of person he is because of the Swamp Thing. However, this is not how I would picture him. And uh, Abby, I guess, I mean, she is young when you first meet her in the comics. Um, she doesn't have the white hair right now, uh, but she is a main, the main character, honestly, of the series. This, this, this series is hung on Abby. She is a uh, member of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. She gets called into town, her hometown, uh, which is in the swamp, and she gets called to come back because there is a mysterious disease that has taken hold and taken root in this town, and she has been brought in to help figure out what's wrong. Uh, along with her, you have um, you have Avery, who you know they they knew they knew they named this character after me. I'm I'm positive of it. Um, that's actually not true. I'm not so vain to think that they have done that. But um, the, this this character uh, who he he's the powerful rich guy who basically owns the town. Uh, he's probably the cause of this problem. You're going to find out later on that he's not as nice as he sounds like he is. And he's working with Jason, who is actually the the name of the guy anyway, who would become the Floronic man. Uh, so he's a scientist though. And he and Abby have some interplay on the last episode, the third episode that I watched. And it's just a very, um, I feel like it's well-written. I, I, it's not the kind of thing where, you know, you're going to be quoting episodes or, you know, <laughs> it's not that kind of thing, but it is a horror TV show. And, um, it really works as, you know, kind of an American Gothic kind of thing. It, it works like that. And so you have then the swamp thing, he shows up in the first episode and then he's in the second and third, but he's not as front and center as, and as primary as a uh, title character, um, could or should be. However, uh, it's okay. You, you've, you've got interesting stuff going on around him and it is scary. There are some genuine jump scares and there are some genuine squirmy moments where you're just like, Oh, that's, that's gross. That's weird. That's scary. It's, it's everything you could ask for in a Swamp Thing TV show. It is, you know, it's a very different kind of show than compared to the original Swamp Thing TV show. But at the same time where you have this kind of episodic horror going on, there's a similarity there. And, you know, the, the Swamp Thing TV show tended to be more like um, those short ep, uh, short comic stories from the pre-code Swamp Monsters book that I was looking at, where you'd have characters that were doing something and and then their comeuppance would come from the Swamp Thing. And, and it could be sometimes an anthology show. It's, you know, in some ways that original Swamp Thing TV show was the Outer Limits or the Twilight Zone with a swamp monster thrown in instead of Rod Serling, you know, so the swamp monster is giving us the message and giving us the lesson that you're supposed to learn from this, this episode, he's coming and he's meeting out the justice that he's, he's bringing the, uh, the ironic justice to these characters. And sometimes, yes, it's awful things just happening to awful people, but you have a good guy in the center of it with the swamp thing. Uh, in this show, this new show, which is, far better production quality than that original show. Um, it's, it's got practical effects. Uh, it's got, um, 
like I said, the horror a plot of each episode is, is interesting and a little bit scary. And yeah, I recommend it. I mean, this is the swamp thing show that I never imagined we would have got and we get it. Now we only get 10 episodes of it. Why do we only get 10 episodes when there was originally going to be 13? The story varies depending on who you talk to. Apparently, the original story right before they released the first episode was that they had, you know, cut the order from 10 up ep- from 13 episodes to 10 ep- episodes because some of the higher ups saw what was coming out of the, the production, weren't happy, got nervous, cut production because um, they didn't want to have to pay out. I think it was I don't know, 40 million, 14 million, perhaps. I don't know what the money, the numbers of the money was, but they didn't want to pay that out because they were afraid that it was going to be a lost investment. However, then someone came out and said, actually, it was a tax problem and that the state of, oh man, it escapes me now. I think it's North Carolina. Um, they had, they had a mistake in the promised tax breaks and the promised tax breaks would not cover as much as they thought it was going to cover. It was like a difference. I don't know the numbers, but you know, $80 million were what they were planning to spend. And maybe half of that was going to be covered by the tax break, but it turns out instead of $40 million being covered, it was going to be 14 million. I, I don't know the numbers. Um, but that was the story that was coming out then was that it was North Carolina and that North Carolina had kind of sabotaged them. And some people were saying that North Carolina was doing it on purpose because they hate the film industry. And some people are saying it was just a, a paperwork error. Um, and I'm reading these different articles and thinking, oh, that's interesting and unfortunate that they had to cancel. But it makes sense because they ran out of, you know, they were going to run out of money. And, and then um, the story came back around to that it was Warner Brothers who said, nope, we are nervous about Disney Plus. We have our DC Universe thing here that's this subscription-only delivery system for a lot of superhero comic books and TV shows and movies, but not nearly the kind of library that that, uh, Disney Plus is going to have in November, and they want to do things that are more like the CW, and the Swamp Thing just ain't that. And so it gets canceled because of that. And they gave them a little bit of time to do some reshoots for a couple episodes that they had already finished and do some reshoots for uh, episode 10. And they had to just shut down this production and they had like two weeks or something like that. And so no matter how you look at it, they went from 13 episodes to 10 episodes and they had to scramble to create an ending and to make it make sense. That's that's the impression that I got that I can figure out as far as the truth of the story. Uh, as far as the other stuff, the details of the rumors, I don't know what's true, what's not. All I know is they have three episodes put out already that I really enjoyed. And there are going to be seven more episodes. I hope I enjoy them. And my biggest hope is that we get to episode 10 and we feel like we got a complete story. Because there isn't going to be any more. They kept the sets up for a little while, but they have dismantled them now because at one point HBO and CW, I believe, were looking at uh, continuing and possibly taking it on as a as one of their projects, and they both ended up deciding not to. And so now these sets have been dismantled. And it's really interesting the timing of all this because you know DC Universe is hanging its hat on original programming. And so before Swamp Thing even gets released, it's been canceled. 
and not just canceled, but cut from 13 episodes to 10 episodes. That's a really interesting timing of things, but there's no way they could stop the story from getting out that they had canceled production. And so they basically, they, they almost shoot themselves in the foot to say, you know, we don't have faith in this show that you you are being asked to subscribe to our subscription service because of this show, but we don't have faith in it, but please subscribe to it. And so you have two things happening. It's being canceled on one hand and it's being promoted on social media on the other hand. And so it's interesting timing. It's, it's a lot of interesting drama. Um, maybe by the time I do another episode about uh, the Swamp Thing TV series, we will have more information and know a, have a clearer story anyway uh, from the different rumors. But basically, as I said, I'm hoping for just a strong 10 episode series with a good ending. Um, you know, they, they can set it up to say, you know, new stories could be happening. Um, there's, you know, Star Trek Discovery season two has an ending that's very, very open ended as far as the stories that they are going to tell in season three. But if they never got to tell those stories in season three, it's the kind of thing that says, uh, just imagine, you know, what could happen. And so there's certain things like that where, you know, you don't have to have a perfect ending. You can suggest that things are going to happen after this closes down, after the credits roll, there's going to be more stories that happen. We're just not going to tell them to you. You just think about them. And, and I don't mind that. Um, Stargate Universe, that's another example where I really wish there was an ending to that. But at the same time, it ends in such a way to say, you know, life goes on and, you know, here's a character that you're just going to have to wonder what happened to him. I kind of don't mind that ending. Uh, I would prefer season three. I'd prefer to have a season three than to have the ending that we got, but I don't mind it at all. And so with the Swamp Thing, I hope that is the same kind of thing that happens is that we get an ending where I say, okay, this is a good ending to this story. Things could happen beyond this story, but they don't have to. They don't have to. So we'll see what happens with DC Universe and all their there are things that are going on. I totally get if the, um, if the suits, if the powers that be, if big brother at Warner brothers, uh, if they are nervous about Disney plus because they should be, I mean, Disney now has Fox, they own Hulu. They are, you know, doing the Disney plus thing. That's going to have original MCU stories, original MCU, uh, Canon, TV series and it's going to have original animated product and it's going to have the entire or if not the entire close to the entire Disney catalog. How can you compete against that when you're Warner Brothers? You can't. That's the answer. You can't. You can just put out what you can put out. And how are they going to compete with that? Well, maybe I mean, I would say lower your price a little bit, you know, play up the fact that, you know, there is original stuff there, but you know, lower that price, maybe even have a free tier, maybe, and they, they might, I don't know, I didn't try. I just got one week free uh, for the, the paid subscription that I got. But how do you compete with Disney? You don't, you can't. You say Disney is Disney, they're doing what they can do. We are not them, we're gonna do what we can do. And what you what Warner Brothers has to offer is not anywhere close to what Disney has to offer. I mean, Disney is the only company, even before these different takeovers that they did, Disney was the only company that really could say, I can do a complete streaming service just based on our catalog alone with their Disney channel, TV shows, all the Disney movies. I mean, 
tons of the Disney movies that that uh, you know things like Escape to Witch Mountain and the Cat from Outer Space and uh, you know that kind of thing where you know these these cheesy movies, uh, but they can create a streaming service that would appeal to old people, young people, everyone in between. And no one else has that kind of catalog. And that's where you get a Hulu where you have people banding together to do that kind of thing. And you have a Netflix where you're able to, you know, benefit from what is there. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, if I was to, if I was in charge of DC and Warner Brothers, I'd look into doing a DC or Warner Brothers channel on Netflix or something like that. Not value added, not like, OK, you have the regular Netflix subscription, then you have the DC subscription. But just, you know, straight up here is a DC channel you know, it's a subset on Netflix and, and just point people to that with your original programming or whatever. But there's a reason why I don't control a multi-billion dollar empire. Uh, I just control a free podcast empire. <laughs> so an empire in the very loosest sense. So that brings us to a close of another episode of Swamp Things, comic book muck men mud monsters and whatnots and so i do want to remind you you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash comic book time machine you can also go to comicbooktimemachine.com to find our other episodes of the swamp things podcast and also marvel cosmic comics and then there's the main feed as well the comic book time machine podcast uh, there's feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com that's where you can write to us if you are uh, interested in talking about the Swamp Thing TV show or the Alan Moore run on Swamp Thing or this 100-page giant comic uh, Swamp Thing Walmart exclusive stuff. Well, for now, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're not having fun reading comics, you're doing it wrong. So enjoy what you read and read what you enjoy. And Godspeed. creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Starslayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Warlord Worlds.